Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. Uh, this is Mike, and I'm here with Wade in our studio. Hello. And we are continuing our series, which we have entitled Why America is Losing Its Mind, and we've gotten to point eight, and point eight is going to be uh, subtitled this way. We're, we want we're to be, switching stuff up. This is a new point eight, by the way. We want to be happy and free, but don't know what that means. So uh, this will be our main topic. Let me just, can I briefly go through where we've been? Would that be okay right sure. now? We, uh, why America is losing its mind. Point number one, we're not liberals anymore and we should be. Point number two, we've forgotten history or never learned it. Number three, partisanship is hardly new and media partisanship is hardly new, but it has been exasperated with technology. Point four, information overload has led to soundbite engagement with important issues and with other people. Uh, number six, five, online engagement has undermined personal interaction. Number six, the American population is getting dumber. Number seven, cultural Christianity is slowly dying off. And number eight, which is a new one, we're switching things up, is we want to be happy and free, but don't know what that means. So we're going to discuss uh, probably uh, the concept of life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, human flourishing, maybe a little bit of shalom, but also what does it mean to be free? Um, are we free just from something or are we free for something? And we'll kind of let the conversation go where it takes us. And if you want to read Good. more about it, unless I missed it and you mentioned it, Michael, no, we're gonna <coughs> we're going to be leaning on an article uh, we mentioned in our last episode, uh, Logia, Journal of Lutheran Theology, uh, issue 25.3, Holy Trinity 2016. And last time we uh, drew upon an article by the Dr. Jack Kilcrease, a friend of mine and a very good theologian. And we're going to be in the same issue today. We're going to be leaning upon an article by a, a Reverend Dr. Michael Berg <clears throat> called Life, Liberty, and flourishing, which can be found in Logia on page 13. If you don't subscribe to a, a Logia, um, especially for pastors and laity who want to uh, dig a little deeper, I would highly suggest it uh, to avoid any uh, conflict of interest. I am an editorial associate at Logia, so I suppose I, I don't make any money off it. If it tanks, it doesn't cost me anything, but, um, but I do find it to be a valuable journal. So Life, Liberty, and Flourishing, uh, Volume 25.3, Holy Trinity of 2016. You can find this article by the Reverend Dr. Michael Berg. He is just a prolific author, <laughs> has another has a book coming out um, on vocation with 1517 Publishing, um, which reminds us that we are a part of 1517's podcasting network. You can find out plenty of information about them on 1517.org. I feel like we've been plugging them hard the last few episodes. Did you know that they have th over 300 videos on YouTube? Nice. So we will we will point you there to 1517.org. Did you know that they have like a daily devotion, like a devotional kind of blog kind of thing? Uh, I, I did hear they have a low standard for what they publish because they published you now and me. Mm -hmm. But um, <clears throat> I would encourage you to check out that article by, by Mike. Um, should I just read the disclaimer now? All right. This show does not speak for our churches, our church bodies, or our employers. To be honest, much of the time it probably doesn't speak for us. We will be thinking out loud a lot, so approach what you hear with a healthy skepticism. Because, well, Planet Earth is a res uh, because well as a responsible resident of Planet Earth, that's probably what you should generally do with almost everything. If you find yourself getting too worked up, 
tune out, look around, and realize you were just listening to a podcast. That's right, a podcast. So go live free, friends, and don't let us get in the way. Welcome back uh, for our main topic today. We're not going to do a free-for-all today, but um, I would like to throw out a dilemma I'm having. (laughs) And, Michael, you can share uh, any advice you might have. Um, Those of you who have had similar issues, feel free to shoot us an email or comment on Facebook. Let us know. But uh, some of you may know I moved into a new house last year. Um, I was there less than a week before I missed a step on the patio and completely messed up my leg. Um, So that probably came up in some of our discussions. But our property, our house, is right up against the next house with just a driveway in between. The neighbor's driveway goes all the way up to his house. And then we've got about two, maybe three feet of grass. And my house with the windows to the basement, the vents, all that good stuff there. And uh, we uh, have gotten a little bit of water in our basement from rain in the past. Not a lot, but... Um, We did just get the gutters redone. But I've noticed the neighbor lately, uh, I don't know if he got a new super amped up snowblower, but we had a a big snow last night and is just shooting that full bore at our house from his driveway to where we have the grass. But I'd say probably four or five feet up on the house, hitting the windows, um, getting nervous about a window breaking or getting water. And uh, so, Michael, um, I'm tempted to just do something passive-aggressive, but I, I think you're going to say I should uh, talk to the neighbor. Um, should I shovel the snow right back onto his property? Um, should I start a fire in the driveway on my side of the property, of course, to burn the snow? I've been seeing flamethrower videos where people get rid of the snow that way so that it doesn't get into my house. The, the downside could be burning my house down. Right. Should I send the kids out? And just make it seem like they're playing there, and all the snow gets kicked. Well, I would away say away from the house. I would say you'd be like I, the first thing, the responsible thing to do is say, "Listen, we had water." In I don't our know basement. if he's a Christian either, so I don't think I have to follow Matthew eight. <laughs> so you, you don't want to just say the the um, the reason is it's not about you know inconveniencing me. It's just we had water in the basement. Maybe you could be a little bit careful. If he doesn't do that, I think you uh, throw your children under the bus, and then they they. They like link arms along your driveway every time he goes out to blow snow. And so he like would protest. literally be blowing snow in the face of children. What if he's willing to do that? If that doesn't work, then then I think you just blow the snow back onto his onto his driveway. Yeah. I mean, I do feel bad because it's a tight spot and there's not. We have the same problem. He would have to yeah. blow the snow up his driveway a little bit and then get it on his own yard. But. Everything I read online is that your snow is supposed to stay on your property. Now, our old house, we did share an alley, and the neighbor would sometimes blow snow onto our side, and we would blow it onto his because we kind of had a process where we would have to make these giant hills, Mm -hmm. and it was agreed that we were going to do this Mm -hmm. because between the garages, there wasn't much room. But there's never been a thing where, like, he came to us and was like, hey, here's a... I, I have to blow some of my snow twice. 
Right, because of the same issue. So you're not just kicking it over on your neighbor. No, because part of it is just too is like if you're hitting my living room window. Right, that's part. Like you're not putting. It's not that you're just not shifting where it's Mm -hmm. going. Like there's the deflector, you know, that you can aim down. Like you got that full bore up. up. Yep. And there could be rocks. Right. Gravel. Right. Knives. Right. um, Brass knuckles. I don't know what. You know what your children are doing and what they're leaving around. Right. And what I've thought about not saying anything, and because I, I can sit on my balcony in the back for where my office is, yeah. and see him. And I thought I've thought about just sitting there with like my unloaded shotgun across my lap. Make sure it's unloaded. Right. Yeah. Or would that be too passive aggressive? Because I wouldn't actually be telling him what the problem is. I think there's steps, right? I mean. So shotgun second? I would say probably after your children and after shooting it back onto his yard. Oh, so you're putting it like fourth or I'm fifth? I'm putting it fourth or fifth, yeah. I'm, but that's that's me. I'm not a I'm not a gun guy. Yeah. So I would never shoot anything or anyone. <laughs> I just didn't know if that might be a nicer way than having an awkward conversation. It'd be easier. Because I feel like the conversation would be awkward. Oh, it's going to be awkward. And I don't no want to feel awkward. Well, it's going to be awkward. Whereas if I just set out with the gun, it's going to be awkward. You think that'd be awkward too? I think no matter where you're going to go, it's going to be awkward. Yeah. So. And it's healthy guy, and he's got like a, a his, uh, I don't know if they're married, but like son and daughter-in-law or whatever live. So, I mean, it's not like yeah. between them they couldn't move the stone the 10 feet forward to to get it on their lawn. I mean, you could be totally passive-aggressive and go up to him and be like, hey, I got two strapping young teenage boys looking to make some money. Maybe you could hire them to blow, uh, to clean off your driveway the correct way. Instead of blowing it onto my yard and making my boys do the work anyway, maybe you could pay them. Yeah. I also thought about getting a tarp and then um, screwing it into the privacy fence because the privacy fence goes up to the house. Uh And then, you know, putting a post in and just having the tarp right up to his driveway so that he can't. Yeah. I mean, you could, but you could put. But you still think talk to him first? I think you have to talk to him first. Give him Because maybe he's just clueless. Maybe he just doesn't get it. You know, but I do like the, I like standing. Or should I just not let it bother me? Well, I, I think, you know, if this is, they're make, he's making more work for you. And we have just, we have new drywall in part of that basement. Yeah. I mean, it? I think that's an issue. But I really do like the idea of you and your children standing up there and making him blow snow into their faces. Uh, and Sophie's then maybe, pretty short, too. And then he'll be like, oh, maybe <laughs> I shouldn't be doing that. Uh I mean, do you think it's normal that someone just doesn't think about that? Is it just kind of a you do your thing, you don't think about it? Or? I I think that uh, that he is breaking um, he's breaking neighbor etiquette. Okay. Even even in Milwaukee. Yeah. Okay. All right. What if I just park my truck in his driveway so that he can't <laughs> snowblow? There you go. Either way, I'll take a look. I'm trying to envision this. I may have to drive. When you by come your over house. sometime, I'll show you. I'll have you. to drive your drive by your house and envision this a little bit more. I think that was actually so, a free for all. So you would not go to the fire and the guns, though, just to be clear. No, no, I would not. I would not, especially the fire, because um, for every video of how that's awesome, there's right. a video of there of how it turns out to not be awesome. But I feel like that wouldn't be me. <laughs> like you could, like you're nimble enough to handle a flamethrower. Yeah. Uh, what does Trisha think about this? Um, when something like this happens, she knows I fixate on it. Mm-hmm. So she usually just tries not to talk about it mm-hmm. because um, she doesn't want to have an hour conversation about it. Mm-hmm. Because like it just goes through my mind and I'm like, 
you know, that's just common sense. Like you should know not to do that. Right. And you know, then I get all worked up and I, I'm not confrontational. Whenever anything like this happens, I usually do take the route of like a nice, I'm even like ni- nice, when I, like deferential when I talk. Mm-hmm. But I usually like to spend a day or two coming up with like grand schemes. plans and schemes yep. Um, yep. In, my, in my noggin. I'm going to give us a, a break because that You're going to call that a free-for-all? That ended up being a good free-for-all, I think. Like what do you do when your neighbor's throwing – um, snow onto your driveway. Okay. And I'd encourage our listeners, hey, give us a, shoot us an email. Yeah. Creative when ways. when this is released. How would you, how would you handle it? Yeah. Creative ways to do this. Right. Non-violently. Yeah. I don't want any violence. Just the threat of violence. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, we're going to be back with our main topic. brings us to our main topic and, and I just want to make one thing clear my God I am not going to do fire or gun okay, uh, it's good. just not in me I've actually never taken my gun out even except a couple times where we thought maybe something was going on and I had uh, Nick hold it with, and it's always unloaded but I just told him like I'm going to go outside and if someone jumps me then you just go yeah. you know and then if they don't run away Lock the door, leave me out there, and call the police. Then, right, but uh, but I'm not gonna. I I don't want someone listening, thinking, oh, Wade's gonna threaten his neighbor or whatever. I was just joking. Not gonna do. I've never shot anything. I've never even shot an animal. I just go and read a book if I go out with my father-in-law, because I feel like if I shot an animal, I would just feel bad. Yeah. And like look at it and be, why did I? Yeah, do why did I do that? Yeah, do something with the carcass too. Yeah, I just no, I, I couldn't don't bring want, myself to. And that's nothing against hunting, but yeah. it just it's not in my my. Uh, yeah, it's not my my either. DNA. Who, maybe when I get the vaccine, it'll be in my DNA. I hear that. Who knows stuff. what's going to happen? Yeah, <laughs> I hope that I hope that I get uh, that'd be a good free for all. Like, what DNA would you like to get? Yeah. Did you read uh, Ben and I uh, last night? I was running my conspiracy theory. I want to start by him. I did mention. I did hear. Remind me though that I would like to. I I would like to spread the rumor that the vaccine puts a little five G antenna into you um, so that your mind then can be controlled by the government and, of course, Bill Gates through 5G. So you're saying that our minds aren't already controlled? Well, they'll be controlled more. Okay. Like a direct line. Right. Except, but there's except, something so that the government a would, transmitter for the 5G that then gets into your veins through the vaccine. So the government wouldn't have to rely on Facebook and Google anymore. Like right. they could skip the middleman? It'll middle just man. subtly alter your decisions. You know, like you're in drive-thru at McDonald's, you're like, man, I want a Big Mac. And then all of a sudden you're like, I think I want a Whopper. And then you go to Burger King because Burger King has a deal with Bill Gates or mm-hmm. whatever. Algorithms it'll put in your head. Mm-hmm. You like that conspiracy? Oh, I. you can drop the conspiracy. I mean, I... <laughs> <laughs> well, good. <clears throat> Our main topic today. Um, people want to be happy and free 
And if there is anything that, right, if there's words that pop up in American parlance, it's happy and free. If you're listening to songs, they're about being happy and free. If you're watching movies and TV shows, it's about the character trying to be happy and free. We want to be happy and free, but we don't know what they mean. And this quest to be happy is as old as man. Um, and we see it with the Greek philosophers, oidaimonia. Um, what is it to be happy of good spirits? What is it to have the good life? Um, happiness or blessedness is talked about in the scripture. Blessed are they or happy are they. Um, this is just something that is uh, built into the human race that we want happiness. And at least to a degree, we want freedom. And if anyone is a freedom-loving people, it's those of us who are in America where freedom is the concept associated with our very uh, social contra- construct, um, contract that is, um, that we are to pursue or that we should have the freedom to pursue life, liberty, or freedom, and happiness. Mike, you entitled this article Life, Liberty, and Flourishing. And so if I can just toss a question to you as we start off, and you maybe have talked a little bit about this in previous episodes. Um, But I've heard you speak enough. I've recorded with you enough. I've talked to your students enough. I've read your stuff enough that I know this word flourishing is a word that comes up a lot in what you do. Why that word? What does it mean? Why do you think it's a good word for what you're trying to convey? Yeah. So when we think about, let's, let's uh, think about the idea that, that everybody has this thing about them, right? So um, we'll put it in, in legal, as you said, social contract terms with everybody has the right, but going step further, I have a desire, right? For, for this thing. And that is something that it's one of the things I think that divides us from the animals, right? that we desire this certain thing um, that is more than just survival. We're not satisfied with survival. And every culture has this concept built in because all human beings have this concept built in being created in the image of God. Um, That... corresponds also or is parallel with freedom you know when we think about oh is there a god um we can i think logically come to the conclusion by looking out into nature that there is a god that there is something pretty smart pretty powerful and a free agent right and we who are created in the image of god we're made to be creative in a certain sense we are made for freedom in a certain sense so that that idea of happiness flourishing. Um, um, I'm going to introduce the word shalom too. Uh, and then the concept of freedom, I think are, are parallel things. They interact with each other and they're important and they are true of every human being that, that, that the good life is going to incorporate this concept of happiness and freedom. Now, the problem is, is that the meanings of words and how we we use words um, can vary from culture to culture and time to time. So when we, uh, as Americans, enshrined this concept, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Just so you know, Mike, well, I am listening, but 
I found a Reddit thread about my stro- snow problem. Yeah. And I've looked at a few, but this this one from Boston. Uh-huh. I like it's it. It's pretty good. It was pretty wicked. Who would uh, expect? Bostonians have some <laughs> solutions. I got to look for one from Philly next, but sorry, go ahead. Well, at the end of this, uh, let, let, give me your, your top three. That well, I'll just, um, the uh, one is, and I'll, I'll say urinate instead. Yeah. Urinate on the snow pile to assert your dominance. Mm-hmm. Make sure it always trickles down to their side. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. I like that. Some of them in the language I can't share, but sorry, go ahead. <laughs> um, so when you and I say the word happy, we probably mean a personal euphoria. It's a feeling. It's emotive kind of thing. This makes me feel happy in the moment. This is somewhat dangerous because uh, happiness is one of those things that we look forward to or look back upon. Rarely do we feel happy in the moment. That doesn't mean that we're not happy. It's just that when we are happy, we're not thinking about are we happy or not, right? We tend to say, oh, I was happy. We look back fondly upon something or we say, once we get over this hump, once we get done with this, once I get to the weekend sort of thing, then I will be happy. So that's a fleeting sort of thing. And the great ancient uh, thinkers, whether they be Greek, whether they be Hebrew or any, anything else, would right away understand that that fleeting concept of the good life, um, if, if we define it as a personal feeling euphoria, is not it's 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 not a good philosophy to live by it it nobody says this is the good life nobody says this is the virtuous full life and our american forefathers did not mean a personal euphoria either um i quote in this article uh justice kennedy who who makes this very clear that george washington in his writings used the concept happiness a lot, but did not mean a personal feeling. In fact, in some of our, uh, there was a little bit of a debate um, in, in other writings, um, in, in our uh, founding, founding uh, documents, there are phrases, life, liberty, and the pursuit of property, right? Uh, the idea of property ownership was going to be these three rights that were enshrined. But the concept of happiness and we'll define that a little bit more, was more than just ownership of property. What it really meant was engaging in civic life. So yeah, ownership could be a part of that, but it also meant um, in your town, you're going to start a school and maybe you're going to build a church. And eventually there's going to be universities that do research and there's going to be hospitals. There's going to be the Rotary Club. There is going to be museums. There's going to be infrastructure. What we meant by the pursuit of happiness, or what of our American forefathers did, following in the lines of the Greek philosophers, and I would say whether they knew it or not, the, the, the Hebrew prophets, was to live a full life. Um, to engage in a civic life. It was not a pursuit of a personal euphoria. Um, even even the, those uh, Greeks who would be labeled today as hedonists did not 
really think that that personal feeling was the ultimate good. In fact, uh, hedonists, that, that word kind of uh, gets misused a little bit. Uh, they were probably more uh, people that would preach moderation than um, stuffing yourself with food or engaging in unlimited sexual, uh, uh, sexual acts. So how do we trace this back? Uh, daimonia, uh, depends how you pronounce it, with daimonia, um, this idea of good spirits, good demon, uh, is often what is translated in English as happiness. Um, but maybe a better translation would be human flourishing, that we have this full life, that we get an education, that kind of stuff. Um, and when this concept is being hammered out by the great Greek philosophers, you have the Hebrew prophets who um, are playing with this concept shalom, which is translated into English as peace, but it's not the cessation of armed conflict. Rather, it is peacetime versus wartime. Uh, wartime is when the economy is in shambles, when there's violence, there's infrastructure blown up. Um, you have to wait three hours in line to pay for a loaf of bread that, that costs $300, right? Uh, thinking about uh, some of those, those great images and sad stories from like right before World War I or World War II in Europe and other places, of course. Peacetime is when the economy is rolling, when there's a certain amount of prosperity, a certain amount of security, a certain amount of freedom as well, right? Um, we want this, and God wants this human flourishing. And so shalom, the way it's supposed to be, a wholeness, um, a human flourishing, uh, the way it's going to be in heaven, and the way uh, we want it to be, all people want it to be right now, justice, security, prosperity, all of those things. The Greek concept makes its way into the American uh, vernacular in the concept of the pursuit of happiness. But notice what has happened is that maybe a hyper-individuality, uh, maybe this is the result, it's the curse of an affluent and successful society. When we already have property, when we already have civic engagement, when we do have museums and hospitals and Little League and all these things right at our fingertips, that the only thing left is that personal feeling, that euphoria. And so my highest good then, perhaps for people in, who have benefited from an affluent society like uh, Western societies, is this personal feeling, right? And so we have this concept of happiness, but do we really know what it is? Can I stop and define happiness? Uh, I think it was uh, 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 Mill who said, you, can't, you can never be happy in the moment, something along those lines, where again, it's something that we look back upon or look forward to. So perhaps we've set ourselves up for a modern discontent, when the ultimate good is my personal feeling rather than a human flourishing, not only for myself, but for my society, for my neighbor, right? So uh, uh, you want to jump in now or do you want me to go into freedom? Or do you have a, can, can we get an update on? I found some stuff in Cleveland, which is helpful <laughs> as well. But uh, no, I, uh, I think, uh, with with the flourishing word, if I can just go back to it and, and we can hash it out a little bit more. 
Um, and you mentioned getting an education or, or things like this. When you when you use the word flourishing, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm assuming there's some sort of universal assertion about human beings that you're making mm-hmm. in that in that connection. Um, and universals obviously don't um, do well in in 2020. What um if we're if we're talking about happiness or flourishing, obviously you have in mind Christ, right? Mm-hmm. Ultimately. Yeah. Right. What uh, what are contact points mm-hmm. for? Con- how would you express to your neighbor, whether they be non-Christian or not, um, that what's flourishing for you is to some degree flourishing for them? Now, I don't mean by that flourishing for you might be getting degrees and being a mm-hmm. professor. Flourishing for them might be um, being a doctor or a plumber or whatever the case might be. Uh what do you understand what, yeah, I'm, what I I'm kind of trying to ask you? Because <clears throat> I, I think people listening <clears throat> might, uh, or is the flourishing word? Maybe I'm wrong. Is it not tied to universals? It just seems to me that it is. I, I think it is, and and I think the conversation may go something like this: um, that I think we all can agree that human beings were not made to be in prison. So there's a certain amount of freedom that we say that we can argue about. How much freedom do I have when it comes to my right to bear arms or whatever? But generally, freedom is something that's not the way human beings are supposed to live if they are in prison. It's not the way human beings are supposed to live if the only thing that they have on their agenda today is scrape enough uh, money together so that they can have something to eat and then or go to keep sleep. the snow away from my house. <laughs> so, so what I'm talking about is freedom then prosperity. And it's not right that it's, it's not human flourishing. If we would live in a world where we're constantly, our security is constantly threatened. We live in a war zone or something like that. And we would say if someone thrives in that, you know, like a, like a rep, uh, um, think of a someone young, who likes to be a mercenary or a, the, the, the child soldiers who are brought up this way. We say that is a, malformation of of what's human so we have something that says we have a contact point that this is what it means to be a human this is good versus this is bad and i guess along those lines do you see contact points in our society still today maybe even in line with social justice stuff and things that come up are there still lingering is the is the is the influence of western christian thought to some degree still lingering behind the the fights that we people will want to have for yeah. um, these things. And I think we all we can all agree upon that. And if we can go down, like, if you want to go down the path of a Western Christian world, however you want to put it, and say, um, these are things that are desirous and, and rightfully for everybody, right? But I, I think maybe that the contact point that we're trying to finally get to is is an idea of purpose. So... I have, I think we can all agree that a certain amount of prosperity, a certain amount of freedom, a certain amount of security are essential for a full good life. Whether you are living in ancient Greece, if you are living in Delhi right now, uh, or if you are living in Pittsburgh, right? But what is really missing is this idea of purpose 
that I am something more than just the animal who is trying to survive. I want to be epic. I want to be great. I want to be a part of the solution. I want to be a part of something great. And I think this is the avenue where you start can, can start talking about vocation, right? That I am a part of this great, this flourishing for my neighbor. And, and so then, there, there'd be aspects to it. <clears throat> Sorry, to, and I'll, yep. I'll be quiet in a second here. When I hear you talk about it, I often think of Aquinas and natural law. Right, and Aquinas will talk about there's just basic goods um, that are common to all people. Um, and they can be expressed different ways, um, but there's just things that are intrinsic to people that this is. And uh, I mean, it, this would be going something along the lines of not necessarily the law written in human hearts, but you'd be saying these are things that are just across culture and time naturally rooted. In, I mean, is that fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And I would say then the next, so I, I think if you think about four components to this human flourishing, again, freedom, prosperity, security, but then purpose. And so what is also unique of, of human beings is that we are the types of be, beings that want to be justified. We want to have, you need a reason to get out of bed in the morning, which I think hits home with our modern discontent, right? Um, you know, if you're, if you're a peasant in uh, you know, medieval, wherever Hungary. Um, you know, you you don't sit there and, and and have the the same existential questions that a kid growing up in 1984 in a suburb of Chicago has. Right. So there'd almost because be, you're just trying to survive. So there'd almost right? be some commonality here, and here not. This is not saying that this is Marxist thought. Mm -hmm. But there'd be some similarity to those who lean towards Marxism um, or socialism of, of various sorts when they argue when people are stuck in wage slavery Absolutely. or slavery. Absolutely. They are unable. Now, they might talk about human potential as if it's a limitless, almost divine thing, which mm -hmm. we would, of course, disagree with. Um, but it might be where you can have a commonality with someone who's on the, the far left politically even of saying – these are the things that if people don't have basic needs met, if they're living in a war zone, if they're in extreme poverty, these are the natural goods, the common goods that they're being kept from attaining towards. Is that fair? Yeah. And I think then, you know, you may, you may go down different paths later in the conversation. You may say, I believe that capitalism, for all of its faults, has drawn more people out of poverty. Right. And cer certainly more than communism, uh, Marxist, that kind of stuff. But that's a, that's and a here, different. And here, argument. there's on the flip side, there's touch points then with the libertarian mm -hmm. who wants these individual freedoms guarded because they also recognize they might disagree with um, Marxist solutions, but there's still some agreement that there's there's basic human goods that people are not able to attain to or aspire towards. Um, when they're not afforded certain freedoms, right? Yeah. So it could be needs aren't met or freedoms aren't granted. But I, I'll let you go now. Those are hopefully those, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. and the, those are different. I, I, the way to put it is the diagnosis. We all agree with the diagnosis. The solutions are going to be different. You know, uh, capitalism is uh, modern capitalism is going to say business and markets are are have have been the best way to pull people out of poverty, but we do need to work against corruption right. in governments and stuff like that. Uh, uh, you know, more of whatever you want to say, a Marxist 
But uh, it, you know, you you often point out the isms are usually almost every ism is getting it at least something, something truthful at some point. That almost all of them, you could probably boil it down to, are at the end of the day somewhat rooted in um, people aren't being able to attain towards flourishing, and then they're going to say this is why this and is this is what problem. we should do. Yep. But you could almost argue east, west, north, south, 16th century, 1st century, right. 21st, that these are that these things end up boiling down to right. So, so a Marxist is going to have a different solution to say it's really the greed of the the, the capitalist. We need to control. So we, government needs to be the controlling factor. Libertarians are going to say there's going to be corruption anyway, so just <laughs> let it ride. You know, right. but whatever. That's besides the point. So, getting back to the idea of purpose, we are the types of beings. And here's where you start to get spiritual. You say we're the types of beings that want to justify ourselves. And to, to a real funny. I think funny, but f almost flippant way to say it, whimsical way is m maybe more charitable is to say the squirrels, the squirrels don't get together and look up into the night sky and wonder what it's like to go to the moon. But we did, we do when we did something about it. The squirrels didn't get together and form a union, but we do. The squirrel doesn't say, does my butt look big in this today? That's something we do. We're human beings. We want to be seen as valuable. We want to justify our existence. And this is, of course, a dead end before God. So how do we deal with that very human thing, especially in our modern discontent, when for many of us, the only thing left to attain is that personal euphoria of happiness, right? I think the answer is... Uh, number one, um, this discontent that you have is because you are created in the image of God and you were made for perfection and you know it and you're never going to be satisfied. And the only satisfactory thing is going to be Christ who justifies you and gives you heaven. And second, then that he uses you in vocation to be a part of this. Um, you are a part of human flourishing when you fix somebody's plumbing. Um, that's the... The plumbing, it's the way it's supposed to be, back to shalom and wholeness and that concept. This is the way it's supposed to be. That's a part of, of human flourishing. The good life is that the plumbing's supposed to work and not, not work, right? And so if you're the plumber, you are a part of this solution. Not that that justifies you before God because you can never be satisfied. You could get paid a million dollars every time that you fix somebody's plumbing. You could win plumber of the year every year, but you'll never be satisfied. That has to come from outside of you. So the perfect peace comes from the Prince of Shalom, the Prince of Peace, right? And from there, then you are truly whole. Then you are truly not, no longer trying to justify yourself by your prestige, by your salary, by your promotions but you are truly free from all of those burdens, trying to justify yourself before God and man, your value. And then now you are free to love. So this is where the concept of freedom comes in. So I think we've kind of hit on a little bit. We want, we want happiness in our modern discontent. Part of the problem is that we have so much that maybe there's nothing left but this personal euphoria, but we've misdefined happiness and seen it as a personal feeling rather than the idea of human flourishing, 
which is what our American forefathers meant when they said the pursuit of happiness. And tying that to shalom, these things that are universal for all people, we can all agree upon them, they're touchstones with uh, all people, but finally the answer is Christ, I believe, because we are free from the burden of justifying ourselves and that we are given a purpose in vocation so that we are not left with this modern discontent, this elusive thing called happiness, this elusive thing uh, which really is uh, a life of perfection that we know we're made for, but we can't have this side of heaven. So that leads us then to freedom. We all want freedom, but we're not quite sure what it means. So we've said that, or at least I've said it before, we often think about freedom as freedom to do whatever we want, however we want, with whomever we want, as often as we want. But as St. Paul would remind us, that if we are just uh, going with our sinful nature here, that is not freedom, but the exact opposite. It is being a slave to sin. So if slavery and sin are equated in our mind, right? Think of the addict uh, analogy here. Um, the addict who shoots uh, heroin into his veins and says, this is my body, it's my choice, it's my freedom. We instinctively understand that that is not freedom, but actually the opposite of, of, of freedom, and it's a prison and the worst kind of self-made one. If I am an addict to my sin, and I am, because if I wasn't, I would have stopped sinning a long time ago, then when I call, I call my uh, uh, indulging in my sinful nature freedom, it is not freedom, but it is a prison. So if freedom and if, if, if prison, slavery, and sin are all mixed up, and the opposite of that, the opposite of sin may be love of neighbor, then perhaps freedom and love and neighbor are equated, or something that we would equate with each other. What do you think about that? You should talk, because I've been talking a lot. I found no, give us an update first. That's fine. I found a, uh, a website that's called ar15.com, and someone uh, posted the issue in there. And I will say I will not be taking any of the advice from ar15.com. But in spite of me joking around, I have been listening. <clears throat> what um, If we can play with, with freedom and slavery maybe a little bit, at least in um, you know contemporary American life, People hear that word slavery, and I think it's almost impossible not to think of economic slavery and slavery in the antebellum South, <laughs> right? Um, slavery gets contrasted with tyranny. We um, Americans, right, love to complain about tyranny. In fact, some, right, will talk about mask mandates as tyranny, or, or people on the left um, will um, complain about mega parades through some areas tyranny. And we, we tend to, what I'm getting at with that is we tend to think of slavery, tyranny, then in economic and political um, context. And I think we tend to think of slavery or tyranny then also as external, right? It's something outside of me that is put upon me, um, which means we see it as an attack on my will, right? Um, it's an attack on my free will, and we love to talk about free will, and 
Um, that's always in, in my freshman class. Sometimes I get really great students, but they'll mention free will in their paper, and it usually leads to a good conversation because a little bit of me dies when I see it. Um, because I'll have to ask, well, what do you mean by, by free will? And I think you've hit on this a little bit, but what do we maybe need to readjust in our thinking about the freedom-slavery dynamic or tyranny and stuff like that if we want to truly understand it? And you hit on it a, a little bit. Um, when, we, when we're talking about flourishing, and flourishing is not something that takes place in slavery, uh, biblically, is, is this slavery primarily external coercion um, and an assault on our will, or um, is it in fact primarily internal um, and slavery to our will? And I think here you mentioned... Like it's my fault, not an external force necessarily. Right. And yeah. you mentioned here neighbor, and I think that this is an important aspect of it, <clears throat> because part of freedom is to be freed from yourself, and seeing and focusing on your neighbor in Christ is a great aid in that, but I don't know that in the West, in the in the highly individualistic West, <clears throat> I, I think sometimes we even, and even Christians, uh, kind of kick at the goads when it comes to neighbor talk, because then I'm kind of enslaved again. What, um, when we get to happiness and, and, and freedom, uh, in contrast to slavery, what what is especially important maybe for American Christians to keep in mind about what real biblical slavery is and the the most dangerous slavery and here i think of galatians and other places yeah i want to we should be careful here because love of neighbor there is a law aspect to that right and so we want to be want to be very careful there and, and the solution of course theologically is to always remember the symbol right so what saint paul is going to say he's going to say uh the the sinner is a slave to sin doesn't have a it's a free will has a master and what he's after there is the sinner sins. That's what he does. That's, that's, that's what a sinner does, right? Um, a sinner sins. That's, you can't separate those two things. But I'm simultaneously a righteous person, and a righteous person is a slave to righteousness, and he's using that analogy. And we maybe don't like that because slave is negative, and, and, I, and obviously it is, and I get that. But what he is saying is a righteous person does righteous things. That's what a righteous person does, period. Which, of course, is, we've talked about before, uh, in contrast to an Aristotelian way of thinking, which is to say you practice being something, for instance, righteous, and then you become a righteous person. So um, if, if I am going to be truly free, and I'm going to define that by... I am not bound by sin, death, hell, and the devil. That I am truly who I was meant to be. That I'm Adam and Eve in the garden. Then I am going to love neighbor. And again, my old... Because that's conducive with what I'm created to yeah. be. And it is, it is the fulfillment of who I am. And so notice that I'm not just free from, but I'm free for, uh, which then uh, again dovetails into into human flourishing. Um, I lost my train of thought here a little bit, but uh, so if we see freedom then as who I really am, my full potential, then of course it's going to be love. 
Now, my sinful nature sees neighbor as an obstacle and an annoyance. So once I start seeing loving other people, I say, well, that is bad for me because I want to do my own thing, but that's a slavery to sin. But I think that, and yes, there are crosses, right? That we bear in love, this side of heaven. I understand that. But we do get what I would call a drop of shalom here on earth, where we can get an instant. This is not a completely foreign concept to us. For instance, there are times when we do unsel- when we do selfish acts for our spouses, for our children, for our neighbors, whatever it may be. And it's a delight to do it. My neighbor is a delight. I, I'm the farthest thing from my mind is getting credit for it. I don't care if somebody sees it or not sees it. It's just a delight to love. And they may, those moments may be rare, but they are there. I think growing up, we heard this a lot, like do good because it makes you feel better. And that always chafed me a little bit, but in a way they're right that this, it, when I hold the door for an old lady walking into the grocery store, you do that. They take forever. That's why the grocery store is a bad way because they have automatic doors. Anyway. You know what I mean? And I, I hold it, but then I'm like, come on, come on, come on, come on. Or like hold it and then just let go right at the last second. Nah, that'd be mean. Yeah. But when you do this act of kindness, you're not doing it because you want to get credit. You're not doing it because it makes you feel better in the moment. You just do it because that's who you are. And it's a delight. And... I think that's truly freedom. I get to do what is beautiful and right and good and praiseworthy, not because I'm forced to do it by the law, because, but rather it's because who I am, that's true freedom. So loving neighbor and freedom are not opposites, but they come together when they are not, when they are not, uh, they're not motivated by the law, but rather, and I don't like motivated by the guy. I don't like that language, but I, I, I get what, what people mean, but it's just because who I am, who Christ has made me to be, right? This is free from having to do something, but I'm also free to do this, right? So to think about it in non-theological ways, you may be saying, you say, I am free from uh, school, graduated high school. I'm free from that burden, right? So then I just sit in my uh, parents' basement and I do nothing the rest of my life. That sounds lovely. Yeah. Do you get a PlayStation? It's a lovely for a bit, right? Uh, PS5? (laughs) So this is freedom from, but it's not freedom for something, right? Um, in fact, that may end up being a prison because you end up being unmotivated. Um, you maybe fi- find yourself falling into depression or anything like that, right? Um, or suffering from awesomeness. If <laughs> um, it's a PS5, games. <laughs> you know what I mean, despite yeah. your joking, right? Yeah. So it's not just freedom from, that is 
not a full freedom, I would say. It's freedom for something, right? So uh, you have to understand the symbol here. You have to understand neighbor. You have to understand uh, a true ethic, not an Aristotelian ethic, but a Jesus Christ, good trees, bad trees ethic. And you have to understand um, that being who we were intended to be in Christ, that fulfillment is not a burden, even though we might talk about it this way in the, in the way of, of carrying a cross for other people, uh, uh, an agape love that is a sacrificial love, all of these things. But the righteous person does not see that as a burden. It sees it as a delight. And there are moments in our life when we can understand this, Hoping, opening the door for our old lady at, at the grocery store or something like that. What do you think, Wade? You're the expert on freedom. Wrap, wrap, wrap this uh, episode up. No, I like up. that you mentioned it's not just freedom from, but freedom for. And I would argue that um, almost everybody who argues for freedom from argues for freedom for um, economically and politically. Almost no one argues simply for freedom from. In fact, even our own founding documents do more than argue for freedom from because we have the mention of life, liberty, and the pursuit of uh, happiness. I, I would just say that the problem with the freedom for that many advocate is, is, is back to an internal turn, right? It's back to the curvata sensei, as Augustine would say. And so uh, I, you know, Wallace talks about you've got to have something to worship or, or else right, you'll eat yourself alive. I would say that that most are, to some degree, aware of this. And so whether it becomes the, the state or a hobby or a career, um, almost everyone is going to invest their freedom in in something. Uh, the question just becomes, is that thing ultimately fulfilling? I think the problem people have with Christianity is to, they say, well, you're supposed to put this in some freedom invested in some imaginary guy in the sky. Um, but even God doesn't ask you to invest your freedom in some guy in the sky. God calls you to invest your, your freedom in your neighbor, right? And, and there you're given an outlet for your freedom. Uh, and in so doing, um, you're doing something that's very uh, Eden-like. You're doing something that's very Trinitarian. You're acknowledging that we have been created to be and are at our core social creatures, mm -hmm. right? Um, that we are able to be most fulfilled when we invest in others, and not in a not in a um, reciprocal manner, looking to get something back, but in gift giving. <clears throat> and I think we see that uh, in the cross as well, right? What what did Christ invest in? He invested in us. Yeah, you don't what, understand any of this unless you understand an undeserved right. love of grace. And, and what does He give? He gives. He gives Himself. Um, and so I, I think that's where the Christian aspect especially will will uh, will come in. And so just to kind of wrap it up here, this is under the series why America has, has lost is losing their mind and the, and the first uh, seven points were a little bit more, uh, I think contemporary. Um, but I think this does apply. We, we maybe we are uh, a little bit too individualistic. Um, we, we do talk about the danger of a rugged individualism in America. It can be a good thing, but it can ultimately be, be destructive. 
Um, and and I do believe this I this this modern discontent, right? We we were coming out of the modern period where we're supposed to we were supposed to figure out all of this crap already. We were supposed to figure out the social ills. We were supposed to eradicate these disease by now. And we see that, um, that we're less happy, that we're less fulfilled. And so what are the questions? Maybe it does come down to the definition of happiness, right? That's a good place to start. What do you mean by, by happiness, right? What do you mean by the good life, the full life? What is that? And there are touch points there because generally people are going to say, well, I want to be philanthropic. I, I want, I, I want to be unselfish, right? right. You know, I, I want these things, right? And to say there is a context for this where Christ has already done the heavy lifting for you. And then he allows you to be a part of this epic story. That is his, that is the love of his world right now as, as disastrous as we have made this project. Well, and that's where I think forgiveness ties in with freedom too, because for instance, <clears throat> Say my neighbor was shooting snow against my house. Mm-hmm. I could sit and dwell on that and mm-hmm. fixate on that. And I, I joke and earlier. And spend but, hours. Right. Yeah. And uh, I'm not going to be free. I'm not, I'm not going to flourish. Uh, at the root of forgiveness, right, is a letting go. And, and that letting go um, at its core is, is, uh, is as much for you as, as for your neighbor, it's why you love your enemies. Otherwise, your enemies have enslaved you. Even the Stoics recognize that. Um, and so, you know, this uh, this undeserved, gracious, forgiving love um, is, is not only the ultimate uh, root and cause of freedom, but it's also the uh, best practicing of it. I think so. I think so. that's a good place to end. We're going to pick this back up, uh, probably taking your article in that same Logia um, um, volume, um, which is going to talk about uh, Lutheranism and resistance, that yeah, type we'll of things. See. Yeah. I think that actually will be a good, we can tie it into this. Um, what does it mean to speak truth to power? When do we do that? When do we not do that? When do we obey? When do we uh, uh, carry on civil disobedience? And so that may be... Uh, I think it'll be a good a good episode. So please come back for for that um, in our string here, our series, Why America uh, is Losing Its Mind. And we hope that you enjoyed it. And remember always uh, freedom, freedom in the gospel, which allows us to do what, Wade? Let the bird fly. Every evening when the sun goes down, get with my party and I begin to cry. I don't care what the people are thinking. I'm not drunk, I'm just a tanker. I set them up another round. I set them up another round. I set them up another round. One more round won't get me down.